Good morning. How is everybody this morning? Good. Let's pray real quick. Father, we thank you for another morning that we get to come here and worship you. Father, I pray that you will use me as a tool to speak your word with boldness and confidence. Be with us, God, as we open your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you came here this morning hoping to hear the preaching from a man with a good head of hair, unfortunately for you, that is not this week. Statistically speaking, though, that will be next week. So congratulations on that. But let's see here. Welcome. It's such an honor to be here in front of you this morning. Um, if, as they mentioned earlier, my name is Dylan Abrams. My wife and my children and I have been attending Church of the King for a little over two years now. I love this church and you guys, and it's such an honor to be here this morning. As most of you know, the past six months to a year has been quite the emotional roller coaster for us. Our daughter, Adeline, in January was born seven weeks early and spent 27 days in the NICU. And um, the support, the encouragement, and everything that you guys did for us, I can't even put into words how much it means. So from the bottom of our heart, thank you. We love you guys, and we're thankful that God placed us here with you guys. Today I'm going to be reading out of Psalm 26, but before I jump into that chapter, I think it's important that we dive into the book of Psalm and give just a brief overview of the book as a whole. The book of Psalm is a 150-chapter book filled with extraordinary richness. There are several authors. The most common, and what we'll see here in just a minute, is David. Um, You know, the Psalms help guide us. They're a guide for our life. Every emotion that you can feel as a human being is found in the Psalms. Are you feeling sad or down? Psalm 55:22 says, "Cast your burden on the Lord; He will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved." Are you feeling angry? Psalm 37:8 says, "Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself; it tends only to evil." Feeling fearful? Something. A lot of us feel nowadays when we turn on the news, it's fearful. It's one of my favorites. Psalm 27.1 says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? The list goes on and on and on. Every chapter is filled with this. The Psalms help give us a right view of life. They help us praise when we don't feel like praising. A good majority of the Psalms were actually written and sung in the tabernacle. As you noticed or might not have noticed, we sing several of them here. I don't know about you, but I do love singing the Psalms. There's just something about them. They also help us as Christians with our prayer lives. If you don't know how to pray, you don't know what to pray, grab your Bible, open the Psalms. And just read. The Psalms guide our prayer life. They are great for that. They also they help us. They help us shift our shift our focus from victim to understanding why what is happening is happening. As some of you know, about a month before Adeline was born, 
Ashley was hospitalized for really bad blood pressure. And you could ask her after the service just to make sure I get this number right, but it was somewhere like 190 over 120. Um, you know, there was talks of having to take the baby early. There was talks about her having strokes. Um, you know, the hospital we attended labeled me as the emotional support person. I'm still offended a little bit to this day, if I'm going to be honest, that that's what I was referred to. But let me tell you, I failed at that. Bad. Um, here I am, supposed to be this emotional support person, and I was in this just the state of frantic panic the entire time we were in there. You know, I'm, I'm seeing my wife laying there hooked up to a million different machines. My daughter that I've prayed for for so long was possibly going to get taken and put in the NICU for who knows how long, if she survived. You know, it's just, it, wasn't a good, it wasn't a good place. And, you know, somewhere in there, and you can ask my small group, I was sending messages left and right, just in a panic. And somewhere in all this, I don't know if it was texting or in person, it's all kind of foggy a little bit, but Pastor Jake said, read the Psalms. Truth be told, I ignored that at first. Um, you know, I've read the Psalms. I've read, I've read them over the years. And in my mind, and it was just sinful arrogance, I guess you could call it, there's no psalm written to help me with my wife laying in a bed and my daughter having to get taken early. There's, there's no psalm for that. I've read them all. There's nothing there. Well, out of desperation and just defeat, I finally took that advice and I opened the Bible and I turned to a, a psalm. And here's what I found. The psalms had everything I needed. Comfort, hope, it gave me peace, a correct view of why things were happening. Most importantly, they helped me realize that no matter my circumstances, no matter what I was going through, God deserved to be praised regardless. And you know, when that, I kind of came to that conclusion and it hit me. I'm not saying that the fear and all that went away because it didn't. But man, let me tell you, it helps. If that's something you struggle with, open the Psalms, read. It helps. The Psalms help us align our thoughts back to God in whatever emotional state we're in. You know, ultimately, the Psalms also help us see our Savior. We can see him, we can see Christ as the eternal creator in the Psalms. We see his death and his resurrection in the Psalms. We see his dominion and a future judgment in the Psalms. With all that in mind, let's dive into today's passage. Turn in your Bibles, if you brought it, to Psalm 26. In this chapter, we're going to see David asking God to vindicate him. David wants God to prove that he is indeed blameless to not only others, but before God himself. In doing so, by reading this, I believe that today, as Christians in, in today's world, that we can see how to be blameless as well. We can see the steps to be taken. So, 
how or why is David blameless? Well, we'll see that he's blameless because of what he hates, by what he loves, and we see that he walks in his integrity. Before we read, I know another thing to say before. Before we read, let me ask you a couple questions. How many of us struggle from time to time or all the time with this feeling that we have to earn or work for God's vindication? I know I do. Sometimes we wake up in the morning after a long day. Maybe we had a fight with our spouse. Maybe our kids were just terrible, wouldn't listen. We blew off the handle. We said things we shouldn't have said. We did things we shouldn't have done. We wake up the next morning and we think, there's no way that I'm in right standing with God after this. If I'm a Christian and I have been filled with the Holy Spirit, how can I act like this? All of us feel that way at one point or the other. So what do we do? We tend, this is what we tend to do, we tend to try to work by doing good works, by trying to make it up to our kids or our spouse, and by doing that we try to work for God's approval. You know, maybe there's people in your life that hate you. Maybe they have good reasons to. Maybe we've done something, we've committed a sin against somebody, and we live with this shame and this guilt. Maybe you failed as a spouse, maybe you failed as a parent, and your kids act like they hate you. What we're about to open up and read helps us see that there is a way to stand blameless before God and others and live life without having to feel like you have to earn God's vindication. So let's read. Psalm 26, vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity, and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind, for your steadfast love is before my eyes, and I walk in your faithfulness. I do not sit with men of falsehood, nor do I consort with hypocrites. I hate the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked." I wash my hands in innocence and go around your altar, O Lord, proclaiming thanksgiving aloud and telling all your wondrous deeds. O Lord, I love the habitation of your house, the place where your glory dwells. Do not sweep my soul away with sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men, in whose hands are evil devices and whose right hands are full of bribes. But as for me, I shall walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be gracious to me. My foot stands on level ground in the great assembly. I will bless the Lord. Remember that David is calling on God to prove his innocence. He is showing God how he has been walking in his integrity and ultimately showing us, the readers, how we can also try to be blameless before God and others. So we know that David's the author of this psalm. What we don't know is the exact time of when this was written. What we do know from reading this and having some knowledge of David and his life is that he was in a place where his character was being attacked. False things were being said about him. Remember the story where David and his men were hiding in the cave and King Saul went up to the cave and as Superbook, my kids have been watching this episode every day, he was relieving himself and David snuck up and cut the hem of his robe 
And then he confronts him outside the cave. And do you remember what he says? He says, why do you listen to the words of the men who say, behold, David seeks your harm? All throughout David's life, he was constantly dealing with these false allegations, lies, rumors, constantly. This is why we have several of the psalms we have today. This particular psalm, Psalm 26, is categorized by some as a petition of innocence. Verse 1 says, Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity, and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. The first thing we should notice is that David, first and foremost, was seeking his vindication from God. David could have easily dropped his head and went to one of his soldiers, went to somebody he knew, and tried to find this vindication from somebody he could physically see in front of him. Isn't that what we do? Aren't we all guilty of this? Something happens, we have a sin, and we try to find this vindication from friends, coworkers, parents, children, our spouse. We're constantly doing it. David knew, and it's not always a bad thing. There are godly people in your life that you should talk to if you are struggling with something. God has placed people in your life for that reason. I would encourage everyone to find that person or find those people if you do not have them in your lives. David knew, however, that God's opinion or view of him carried eternal weight. He knew that only God is the vindicator of man. In verses 2 and 3, we see that David wants the Lord to investigate his inner being, his thoughts, and his actions. David wanted his integrity to be seen and verified by God. This is a process, though. God doesn't want us to just sit around and just do nothing. That's not what he wants. In the next verses, we will see how David works at this. Verse 4 says, I do not sit with men of falsehood, nor do I consort with hypocrites. Now, is David saying here that we should just avoid anybody outside the faith? No. David is saying here that do not sit with, engage with, hang out with, Accompany men who hate God. Well, what about Jesus? He hung out with tax collectors. He ate with the prostitutes. I mean, don't they hate God? What Jesus did wasn't just hanging out. He was calling them to repentance and he was loving them. That is what we should be doing. Sometimes we can't help who we're surrounded by, whether it's work or family Sometimes we can't help it. But make sure that you never surround yourself with those who want you to join in on evil. Well, who are these people? Well, if you were here for our Proverbs series, I don't know how long it's been now, you've probably heard Pastor Jake preach on Proverbs 1. In Proverbs 1.11, you see the people who are trying to entice you to join in evil by saying, come with us, let us fly and wait for blood. Be mindful of your company kids especially in school, be very mindful of your company. Water and oil don't mix. You have to be careful. It is of the utmost importance to surround ourselves with people who are on the same mission as we are. In January of 2022, our men's group split into small groups. So in February, I think, we began meeting at Parlor Croissants and Donuts. I'm sorry. I forget you Evansville people don't know what donuts are. 
sorry. We started meeting at 6.30, thanks to David Jones. And uh, I could, but I won't speak for the others when I say that even though it was too, it's probably too early in the morning to be doing it, but we do it anyways, it has been the biggest blessing for us, for myself, for my family. Us men, we've been encouraged, strengthened, united around one common goal, to serve the King and do His work. Surround yourself with other heavenly-minded people. Do not let yourself slide into a place willingly by those who hate and plan on doing evil. Now, please, do not listen to what I say, what I just said, and take that as, I should just avoid non-Christians. Please, that is not what I'm saying. We are called to spread the gospel to the spiritually sick. There's a massive difference between what Jesus did and doing that. And just avoiding the bad company, we are called to live a life separated from evil. That does not mean we stop shining the light of Christ that's inside of us. Verse 5 says, I hate the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. The word I want to focus on here for just a second is the word hate. It's a very strong word when used properly. But do we use that word properly in our day-to-day talk? No. I'm guilty of this just as probably more than anybody. We say things like, I hate vegetables, even though we haven't eaten half of them. It just happens. I hate doing the dishes. I hate cleaning. I hate mowing the yard, which if any of you are familiar with me, I have a right to hate mowing the yard. (laughs) It's an eyesore, let me tell you. But we typically use it in really stupid ways. But to hate is to feel a passionate disdain for someone or something. David hates the assembly of evildoers. Does David hate these gatherings for no reason? No. David hates evil. David hates plots and gatherings of people who seek to undo what God has done or is doing. So how do we work with this psalm when we think of Jesus when he says we're supposed to love our neighbors? How do we think of this psalm when we read later in the psalm, or all throughout the psalm for that matter, like this, Psalm 139.21, when it says, Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? Is there some sort of contradiction here? We know that's not the case because the Bible doesn't contradict itself. But these are tough questions that we need to be able to answer. We can't just let these questions slide by. We have to be able to answer them. I would say that it's good and right to feel legitimate hatred for ongoing wickedness. Let me ask you a question, a couple questions. Do you hate abortion? You should. Do you hate that there's a movement in our backyards everywhere we go? You can't even go to the grocery store anymore without there being something trying to steal the hearts, minds, and innocence of our kids. And for some of us, our grandkids, you should hate it. Do you hate that there is plots and assemblies, as David says, to undo what God has done, to fight against God, try to fight against God? You should, and you're right to feel that way. But what about the people? Do we hate them? I think the answer is a resounding no. You know, I worked in the Vanderburg County Jail for the better part of two years, and um, I had face-to-face encounters with murderers, rapists, people who hurt children. 
any crime, practically any crime you can think of, I had some sort of altercation with them. Let me tell you, it's really hard not to hate these people. It's really hard. It's really hard not to hate the person who threatens you and your family. And I failed, but we serve a merciful God who is more willing to forgive. You know, we see the abortion doctors on TV brag about committing abortions, committing murder, tearing children limb from limb. They brag about it. We see the people trying to steal the innocence from our children, as I mentioned. It's hard. It's hard. We have a sinful nature. It's hard not to. You know, in our, one of our classes over the Psalms, we talked about this. Some of the Psalms are called imprecatory Psalms. I think I got that word right. And David has a reoccurring theme of praying for the destruction of the wicked, praying for their downfall. And we discussed if that was okay for today's Christian climate, for today's Christians to do. And, you know, one of the students said something that stuck out to me, and I'm paraphrasing just a tad because I don't remember it word for word. But he said, I believe that as Christians, we are commanded to pray for their salvation and want to see it happen. But if salvation doesn't come and the wickedness continues, it's appropriate and biblical to pray for their destruction as David did. These are hard thoughts we have to wrestle with. We have to. I don't want to take up too much more time because I think you could make a whole sermon series over this. But we can see that part of David's petition is that God would search him and see that he distanced himself from evil. So keep in mind that David pleaded with God to find him blameless for what is being said about him. He is asking for God's vindication. In doing so, we can see that there's a pattern for us to follow in our call for vindication. Hate evil. What else? Let's keep going. Verses 6 through 8 says, I wash my hands in innocence and go around your altar, O Lord, proclaiming thanksgiving aloud and telling all your wondrous deeds. O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. When we read that David was washing his hands, we know that this was specifically a ceremonial act where they would wash their hands of any wrongdoing before entering the tabernacle. Well, we don't do that anymore. We do something new under the covenant of grace. We confess our sins with our mouths. We repent. Now, I still highly recommend that you wash your hands before you come to church. Let's keep that practice going. But look at verse 7. Proclaiming thanksgiving aloud and telling all your wondrous deeds. Isn't that amazing? If you think about it, isn't that amazing? David walking in this assurance of what God is doing, that God would vindicate him. He walked through the tabernacle in boldness and confidence in what God did, is doing, and will do. All of God's wondrous deeds were on display when David entered the tabernacle. So what keeps us from doing the same? Is it the ignorance of what God has done in our lives? I could go around to every single person in this room and I could ask you, in the last two hours, tell me something God has done for you. And every single one of you would have at least a billion answers. You know, we breathe air. 
We woke up this morning. I got to see my wife and my kids this morning. I got to hear their laughter. We got to walk outside and we got to see nature, trees, grass. We get to come here and see each other. All of that is a gift. And we take it far too much for granted. Church, come here proclaiming his goodness. In verse 8, David says, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. How many of us woke up this morning excited to come to church? Nervous and excited, but how many of us wake up every week excited to come to church? Sometimes, right? I know we're in the middle of a basketball court. I've played basketball here several times, and sometimes when I'm sitting back there, it's hard to pay attention. You know, when we're surrounded by all of our sponsors, it's really difficult. They're not actually our sponsors. I'm just a joke. But it's hard to pay attention. But what we're doing when we come here should bring us joy. We get to praise the king, the king who vindicates his people. Also, notice the stark contrast between this and verse 5 when David said he hates the assembly of evildoers, but he loves the habitation of God's house. You can't dwell in both. Can't do it. So we've seen so far that to be blameless before God, we must hate evil, love God, and love his house. As I previously mentioned, some of the commentaries I have read name this a petition of innocence. We are about to see that petition to God in the next few verses. Verses 9 to 10, David says, Do not sweep my soul away with sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men, in whose hands are evil devices, and whose right hands are full of bribes. Even within this protest of innocence, and David knowing that he has walked in his integrity, David pleads with God that he wouldn't allow his soul to be swept away and shut out with the wicked. David knew God would spare him, at least I believe he did. You can tie this with the previous verse when David was proclaiming his love for God's house. David loves God's house so much that he cannot handle the thought of being shut out with the wicked. You know, this is a source of comfort, not only for David, but for us. If we love God and we love his house while here, we will dwell in his house forever. Take comfort in that. Verse 11 states, But as for me, I shall walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be gracious to me. I love what Charles Spurgeon says regarding this verse. Um, he says, See again, my beloved, how in the Christian's practice good works and faith are seen happily blended. He declares that he will walk in his integrity, but still, still note, he praises one that is conscious of a thousand imperfections. Redeem me and be merciful to me. We do rest on Christ alone, but still we desire to walk in holiness with as much exactness as though our salvation depended upon our good works. We know that we aren't saved by good works, but good works are a sign of our faith. We know that God is a redeemer of his people. The only way that we are able to walk in our integrity and to do good works is if God first redeems us. And we know that God redeeming us is an act of divine mercy. Amen. What a beautiful thought. He redeems us. 
He saves us. He gives us a new heart. And because of this, we are able to do good works, not for us, but for him. Because of this, we can walk in understanding that we are following him and keeping our integrity. Verse 12 says, my foot stands on level ground in the great assembly I will bless the Lord. Because he has redeemed us and been gracious to us, we know that it is God who places our feet on level ground, on solid ground. It might not be physical safety. And listen, nowhere in the Bible does God promise health. God never promises that we'll go through life without struggles. He never promises that we will go through life without being in danger. He never promised that. What does he promise? He promises that he will save us in the end. Ask the 12 apostles in the majority of church history. They, did, they weren't spared. They weren't spared the cruel fate. But what was their hope? Their hope was in the promise that God placed their feet on solid ground. If you ask David, he would think you're nuts if you thought that he was responsible for that. Don't ever forget, don't ever let yourself forget that God is the one who saves us and redeems us. When God promises something, it happens every single time. And what did God promise? God promised to save his people. The last half of that verse says, in the great assembly, I will bless the Lord. David is not simply worshiping God because he saved him, but regardless of the circumstances of David's life. He understood that God deserved to be praised. I want you to listen to this. Don't ever let your current circumstances dictate your praise. Don't ever let your current circumstances dictate your praise. Come to church and praise him. As we close, know that we can learn from David in the psalm that if you were one of his, you can leave here today with joy in your heart and with confidence and your head held high. It's not going to be easy. There's work to do as we've seen. Be like David and do the work. If you're not sure about where you're currently standing, understand that you are here for a reason and God is calling you to turn from your sin and submit to him as Lord. There's nobody outside the scope of God's saving grace and mercy. Nobody. Remember, God is good. God is merciful. Live your life separated from evil. Those who want to see God hate God and want to see his name blasphemed. Love each other. Love being here. Most importantly, remember that God vindicates his people. David was a murderer, an adulterer, had really big and bad sins. Yet we know him as a man after God's own heart. My favorite passage in all of scripture is 1 Timothy 1.15. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am of the foremost. Like David, we need a savior. Like David, we need divine vindication. We can leave here with confidence because the true and better David came, 
he died, and he rose again, and he is coming again. He did it. He's doing it to bring his people salvation. We can praise him for his mercy, his compassion, and grace that he showed to a mighty king like David and to lowly sheep like us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the promises of scripture that you have given us. We thank you for your vindication. I pray that as we leave here, we remember your word, and we remember your goodness. Don't ever let us forget. Father, I thank you, and I pray that your name will be lifted above all names. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.